1: See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, Positively FedEx.
2: I'm Margaret Brennan in Washington, and this week on Face the Nation, chaos has turned to calm at the White House, but the challenges facing the newly elected president continue to grow. In the 10 days since taking office, President Biden has issued a flood of executive actions dealing with COVID-19 immigration, Obamacare, climate change, overturning the travel ban, racial equity, transgender rights, the Keystone Pipeline, and abortion rights. The
0: best way to describe them, to undo the damage Trump has done.
2: There are new mandates requiring mask wearing when traveling, new efforts to bring order to vaccine distribution, and a third successful immunization is pending FDA approval.
3: We now have a national strategy to beat COVID-19. It's based on science, not politics. It's based on truth, not denial.
2: But Mr. Biden's push to end the pandemic will likely be disrupted by mutating strains of the virus now spreading in the US. Another roadblock? He's having a tough time selling his nearly $2 trillion package of economic aid to Congress, even to some members of his own party.
3: Coal has to pass. There's no if, ands, or buts.
2: With new accusations and threats, on top of increasing fears over the safety and security of members of Congress, bipartisanship is in short supply on Capitol Hill.
4: The enemy is within the House of Representatives.
2: Will anyone be willing to compromise? We'll talk with White House senior advisor and former Congressman Cedric Richmond. Connecticut Governor Ned Lamont state is a success story when it comes to vaccinations. Miami Mayor Francis Suarez's city has reported dozens of cases of coronavirus variants. Plus, we'll take a closer look at the push to get schools to reopen for in-person learning.
0: We could see an entire cohort of kids with a lower lifetime earnings because they're deprived of another semester of school.
2: We'll talk with Chicago School Superintendent Janice Jackson, former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb, and look at going back to Wuhan one year after the virus was discovered. It's all just ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. It's quiet in the nation's capital today, but that may be because of the snow falling outside. Whatever the case, we know it won't last. Washington is preparing for another impeachment trial. This time, former President Trump has been charged with incitement of insurrection based on his role in the January 6th attack on the Capitol. The former president has remained out of sight in Florida since leaving office. But last night, we learned that he has parted ways with his top attorneys, hired to represent him in next week's trial in the Senate. We've got a lot to get to today. and We begin with CBS News national correspondent Manny Bajorquez in Miami.
5: Starting Tuesday, not wearing a mask on most forms of public transportation will be considered a violation of federal law under a sweeping public health order issued by the CDC. Efforts to stop the spread have taken on new urgency as three mutant strains have now appeared in at least 31 states. Even more worrying, the cases are being found in people with no travel history, a clear sign of community spread.
6: We should be treating every case as if it's a variant Um, during this pandemic right now.
5: There are also questions about how the vaccines will stand up to new strains. Johnson & Johnson, which is set to ask for emergency authorization of its one-dose vaccine this week, noted that its efficacy dropped from 72% in the U.S. to 57% in South Africa, where the mutant strain is driving new cases.
7: This is a wake-up call
8: to all of us. We will continue to see the evolution of mutants
5: vaccinating Americans remains a logistical challenge in Alaska. Medical workers try to find ways to remote villages.
6: We have been going by plane
2: and a couple of the places you go by snow machine, a little sled behind it uh, to get you there.
5: Across the nation, of the nearly 50 million doses distributed to states, just 60% have been administered. In an effort to speed up the process, FEMA is now asking the Defense Department to ready as many as 10,000 troops to assist in vaccine clinics. Yet for those who have received the shot, racial disparities persist, with white residents being vaccinated at higher rates than black residents, often double the rate or higher in one survey. At this clinic in South Los Angeles, a surprise shipment of 600 doses before closing became a lifeline for those who have struggled to secure appointments. Grandmas and grandpas, non-English speakers, how are you supposed to use that complicated website? Another challenge facing states, getting students back in the classroom. A CDC report found schools are low risk for widespread transmission, provided masks and distancing guidelines are followed but there's a clash between the teachers union and the city of Chicago over a planned return to in-person learning tomorrow. In Denver, it's already started.
0: It's been tense at times to think about like, you know, the possibility of getting infected, the possibility of bringing home an infection.
5: There are some indications the virus's wildfire pace has slowed just slightly. The number of new cases and hospitalizations nationwide has eased, but the daily death toll surpassed 4,000 twice in the past week. Today, Florida ends its deadliest month of the pandemic. Margaret.
2: Manny, thanks. The variant of the virus first detected in the UK is now in 50 countries. Senior foreign correspondent Liz Palmer reports from London.
4: Good morning. The U.K. is now more than halfway toward its goal of vaccinating 15 million people over 70 and medical staff by mid-February. And that's in sharp contrast to the situation in Europe. Some German vaccination centers are completely empty because they've run out of vaccine. And there's the same problem in parts of Spain and France. Manufacturing delays and sluggish bureaucracy mean Europe has vaccinated just 3% of its population compared to 8% in the U.S. and 13 in the U.K. But those are numbers African countries can only dream of. Most are still waiting to get a single dose okay. as South Africa battles a dangerous new virus variant that sent deaths rocketing up. The fact is, 95% of the vaccines on Earth have so far gone to the 10 richest countries. For life to return to normal, that's going to have to change, warns the WHO.
8: We will not end the pandemic anywhere until we end it everywhere.
4: And it's far from ended in Europe, in spite of lockdowns and curfews. This is Carnival Week in Venice, though you'd never know it, no one came. Spain is once again struggling with a surge in infections, and Portugal currently has the worst outbreak in the world. Meanwhile, a security and media circus surrounds the WHO team of experts in Wuhan, wherever they go, looking for the source of the virus. Compare that to the piece movie buff Lisa Enroth is looking forward to. A Swedish COVID nurse, she won a week in a cozy lighthouse to watch all 60 entries in Gothenburg's film festival. Now that's self-isolation. It's exactly a year ago this week that the very first coronavirus case was confirmed here in Britain. And there's a real hope now that we may be at what you might call the beginning of the beginning of the end. Margaret?
2: Liz, thank you. We want to go now to New Orleans and former Congressman Cedric Richmond, who is now senior advisor to the president. Good morning to you. Good morning. I want to start on COVID. This new strain that was first detected in the UK, B117, led that country to shut down its schools. This week, Dr. Fauci said uh, opening U.S. schools may not happen due to mitigating circumstances. Uh, is President Biden still vowing to open American schools by April?
9: Well, yes. And the key to it is making sure that we pass the American Rescue Plan so that we provide the Uh, school systems and local municipalities the ability to open schools safely and we think that if we invest in uh, the resources to make it safe schools should reopen.
2: But that likely wouldn't even happen until March at the earliest. Uh, Tell me about the plans right now what you can do now should the federal government uh, make it a priority to vaccinate teachers or instruct governors to push them towards the head of the line as essential workers.
9: Look, I think you see us doing everything uh, humanly possible to make sure we ramp up vaccinations. We're delivering another million six to the states every week. So we bumped up the order. We just purchased another 200 million vaccinations so that we can vaccinate the whole 300 million adults that we need to do. And so uh, we're going to keep pushing. We're going to keep sending vaccines to the states and asking the states to uh, hurry up and make sure that they uh, get them all out. But our plan and why we need to... Past American Rescue Plan is to make sure that we give the school systems the ability to buy the masks, the ventilation systems, all of those things that's needed uh, to open up.
2: But as you know, I mean, that fight is happening right now in cities like Chicago. We'll be talking to their superintendent later on in the program. And Michael Bloomberg, former presidential rival to uh, to President Biden, argued in an op-ed this week that the president could be doing more. He could use his bully pul- 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 pulpit, excuse me, to give political cover to fellow Democrats. He could tell the unions, yes, I understand uh, how we need to prioritize teachers here and actually take measures to do it. Why isn't the president doing more to help out some of these fellow Democrats?
9: I think the president is doing a lot. He just uh, introduced a, a $1.9 trillion plan to make sure that it is a whole community of to they approach need the help right now. They're uh, trying to open schools Monday. Vaccinations. Well, that's an issue in uh, Chicago that uh, both sides are dealing with. I know they're both at the table. Uh, teachers are concerned about their health and making sure that they could teach Uh, in a safe environment and if you look at the CDC study the CDC study that just came out said with the proper investments with the proper spacing and class sizes schools could reopen uh, safely but another key aspect of that CDC study is that they didn't test all the students and teachers they just tested people who were symptomatic and the class sizes in that population uh, was in between 10 and 20 students in a class so look we are very serious about making sure that we pass a plan that gives us a comprehensive approach to uh, COVID, which means small business help, help to uh, our citizens. And so look, we want kids back in school, no doubt about it. But we want it to be safe for the students, the teachers, and the families of both students and teachers.
2: Well, I think everyone wants that safety. Um, I want to ask you about the aid package you're referencing there. This morning, as you know, a group of about 10 Republican senators sent a letter to the president and they say uh, they just want a meeting. They have a proposal that they say mirrors many of the same things the president wants, including money for vaccine and health supplies, targeted stimulus checks, slightly different from what the president's proposing, enhanced unemployment. Is the president open to these ideas and will he meet with them?
9: Look, the, the president said in his inauguration speech, that he wanted to work with both sides in order to help the American people. And what we know about President Biden is it's never about him, it's always about uh, the people. So uh, yes, he is very willing uh, to meet with anyone um, to advance the agenda. But look, this is about seriousness of purpose. This is about meeting the moment. And this crisis is enormous and our response to it meets that challenge. And so when you start talking about $1,400 to individuals, another $160 million so we could safely open schools, Uh, a couple hundred million dollars to make sure that we help small businesses that are struggling. That's what the American people want to see. Seventy percent of the American people support President Biden's plan, and another 71 percent of the American people want to see Republicans work with the president to meet the enormous challenges that we have. Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, Is the president willing to compromise then and and perhaps strip out something like this $15 minimum WAGE DEMAND THAT MANY REPUBLICANS OBJECT TO? COULD YOU MAKE THAT A SEPARATE VOTE?
9: LOOK, WE'RE NOT GOING TO NEGOTIATE ON TV, BUT WHAT I WILL SAY ABOUT THE MINIMUM WAGE IS THE MINIMUM WAGE HAS BEEN uh, EXPANDED OR INCREASED DURING uh, TIMES OF CRISIS BEFORE. IT'S BEEN INCREASED UNDER REPUBLICAN PRESIDENTS AND DEMOCRATIC uh, PRESIDENTS. AND IT'S A GREAT WAY TO LIFT PEOPLE OUT OF POVERTY. AND IF YOU THINK OF ALL THE FRONTLINE WORKERS THAT ARE OUT THERE RISKING THEIR LIVES EVERY day who probably have not been vaccinated yet. So you're talking about grocery store clerks and everyone else. Mm-hmm. They shouldn't have to work two jobs just to make a living wage and but you live can make that above a separate the poverty though. line. Look, the other people wanna argue process. We wanna argue purpose in moving this country forward. And President Biden is very clear and he said it in his inaugural, we face deep challenges and we're gonna meet the moment and we're not gonna leave anybody behind. That's the whole purpose of building back better. We're not gonna leave people behind, and especially the people who are on the front lines risking their lives to keep this economy afloat and make sure people have the goods and services that they need.
2: I wanna ask you about your time in Congress. You yourself were hunkered down on January 6th inside the Capitol when you were a sitting Congressman uh, during that siege. Speaker Pelosi said this week that the enemy is within the House of Representatives. Do you believe that some of your former colleagues, sitting lawmakers, pose a security risk?
9: Look, I I can tell you one thing, uh, and this is my time as a congressperson. Uh, I believe that uh, we're in a different state than we've ever been before. Members who do not want to face reality, members that are encouraging conspiracy theories and things like that. But the real, the enemy that's within is the dysfunction of the Republican Party unwilling to face facts, unwilling to put the people of America first. And, look, I have all the faith in the leadership ability of Nancy Pelosi. Uh, She's a great speaker. Uh, But the challenge is bringing people together right now, and that means Republicans ditching uh, the division that has defined them for the last couple of years under the former president and coming to the table. All we're asking is those people that are out there busting their backs to keep food on their table and a roof over their head and clothes on their kids' back. Come join us in helping them, and let's leave the conspiracy theories. Let's stop arguing about election fraud that we know never existed. And so that's the enemy within, is the inability of people Mm -hmm. to acknowledge facts and come together to help the American people.
2: All right. Thank you very much, Congressman Richmond, for your time. We want to go now to Connecticut. Governor Ned Lamont joins us from Stanford. Good morning to you.
3: Good morning Margaret. Uh,
2: Governor, we've talked about your state being uh, an outperformer in terms of actually getting vaccine supply out to constituents and I wonder what your advice to the Biden administration would be. Should they continue prioritizing states based on population or reward good behavior by giving more vaccine to states that can actually put it in arms?
3: Well, I can tell you they gave us, uh, the previous administration gave us 50,000 additional doses because we were doing a good job of getting people vaccinated on a timely basis. But I think uh, what's most important right now for the Biden administration is give us some uh, transparency. Let us know what we can expect next week, what we can expect next month, so we know how much to expand our infrastructure. But We're ready to get people vaccinated. You just get us the vaccines.
2: Well, we know the White House said this week that they will boost supply about 16 percent, give you three weeks notice of what you're about to get instead of just the one week that you were getting under the prior administration. But then I saw that two health systems in your state have been canceling appointments for shots in arms for the coming week. So I'm wondering, is there still a problem with federal supply?
3: I don't think so. They've done a relatively good job of getting us the vaccines when we need it. Our hospital systems and federally qualified health centers, they do things by appointment. That clears up a lot of the confusion you see in some other states. But I do know that one or two of these systems may be over um, you know, had more people than they had vaccines. We're watching that very carefully. Do it by appointment, clear up the confusion, get people vaccinated.
2: So you have prioritized, as the federal government has suggested, uh, based on age, um, and and there is a correlation, of course, between mortality and age when it comes to COVID. But one of your local papers, uh, the Connecticut Mirror, had an analysis pointing out that the 65 and older group in Connecticut is about 84 percent white. Given how hard hit people of color are, should race be a factor?
3: Uh, what they also pointed out margaret is that people of color black and brown 60 65 75 are much more likely to get infected much more likely to suffer complications than a white person 10 years their elder so we are making a big effort to make sure we don't just get the worried well at our big drive-through vaccination centers but also get our um, mobile vans go to the churches go to those um housing complexes where we can get people vaccinated who have to get vaccinated.
2: But you still will stick with age as the determining factor at this point.
3: At this point, it's 75 and above just because, as you point out, you know, 80% of the fatality is related to that narrow group. Then we'll probably go down to 65 and above. Most of those folks have comorbidities. And then we'll look at essential workers in a broader group from there but we can expand quickly if we get Mm -hmm. more vaccines.
2: Well, let me ask you about those essential workers. Um, You have about 50% of your schools already in-person, face-to-face instruction. Should teachers be pushed to the front of the line as essential workers? I asked uh, Cedric Richmond from the White House that, and he didn't want to uh, stipulate that they should be prioritized. Will you prioritize teachers in your state?
3: Well, first of all, we have about 95% of our kids have the opportunity to go to school, to go to the classroom, uh, either full time or hybrid. Almost all of them are full time. Our teachers have been extraordinary heroes showing up, being at school, giving these kids an opportunity. I can't afford a lost year. So, yes, teachers are going to be in an early group when it comes to people getting vaccinated. And right now, they are a priority group in terms of testing. We're doing testing at the schools or nearby to make sure every teacher has the confidence that they can continue to teach safely.
2: But for example, in Chicago, the mayor has said there that that putting teachers ahead of other essential workers wouldn't necessarily be fair. Will you put teachers ahead of those other essential workers in 1B? Well,
3: it's a little complicated. I've got um, police who are going out there on the front lines. We got manufacturing folks in defense industries. I got daycare workers. So I've got to be careful about how you prioritize. But I got to tell you, teachers are right near the top of that list because of what we're doing to keep our schools open and our kids in the game.
2: In Connecticut, you have detected some of this new mutant virus, the B117 that originated or was, excuse me, detected first in the UK. The prime minister, as you know, of the United Kingdom shut down schools there. At at what point will you reverse course or have to reverse course and shut down your schools if this particular strain becomes more of a problem?
3: Somebody I talked to a lot about this is one of your next guests, Scott Gottlieb, who's been advising us. And fortunately, in Connecticut, compared to, say, a couple of the other states, Our um, hit rate in terms of those uh, particularly um, infectious variants is very, very low. So I'm quite confident that if we keep the vaccinations going, we're going to be able to stay ahead of that curve. But we are watching it carefully. And if something changes, so will we.
2: Do you have a benchmark infection rate where you'd shut down?
3: Uh, I don't do it that way. I mean, right now we're less than 5 percent. We're one of the lowest in the country right now. Been that way for some time. Uh, and And frankly, being in a classroom with a mask is probably a lot safer uh, than being out with your buddies because you can't go to school. Mm-hmm.
2: So are you confident, bottom line, that you will have one hundred percent of schools open by the spring?
3: Uh, like I said, 95% of our kids right now are already have the option to go to school, either full-time or hybrid, right. and uh, we're going to keep that going. The only variant could be is if this um, UK variant takes off like wildfire.
2: Okay. Governor Lamont, thank you for your time today. If you enjoy Face the Nation, we think you'll love our new podcast. A new episode of Facing Forward drops every Friday. And in our latest edition, I spoke with the CEO of Eli Lilly. You can listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. We'll be right back with the mayor of Miami and former FDA commissioner, Dr. Scott Gottlieb. And later on, we'll talk to Chicago Public Schools CEO Janice Jackson about whether they'll be able to reopen tomorrow.
1: Have you ever covered a carpet stain with a rug? Plus, you'll know what to tackle next, because Thumbtack is the app that shows you what to do, who to hire, and when. So say goodbye to all those unfinished home projects and say hello to caring for your home the easier way. Download Thumbtack and start a project today.
8: This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move, or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to
2: 500-500. Welcome back to Face the Nation. We go now to Miami, still a hot spot for COVID-19. Mayor Francis Suarez is there. Good morning to you, Mr. Mayor.
10: Good morning, Margaret. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning.
2: According to the CDC, uh, Florida is the state with the most cases of B117. That's that strain first detected in the U.K. It's highly contagious, and I know there's a concentration in South Florida. What mitigation measures are you putting in place in your city to contain it?
10: Well, you know, uh, we've been restricted from being able to put in mitigation measures. Uh, I had implemented a, a mask in public order uh, back when we were allowed to do that during the summer and that drove down cases by 90%. Uh, now we're not allowed to implement a mask in public order. It's something that I had been uh, speaking to the Coronavirus Task Force about. The good news is that uh, as, as opposed to the summer where we had 2,300 COVID patients countywide, which was a, a tremendous strain on our hospital system, now we have less than a thousand uh, patients. So um, you know, even though we are you know, obviously battling with, with a new strain, uh, that is not thankfully at this point materializing into more hospitalizations
2: when you say not allowed uh, i assume you're referring to governor DeSantis, uh, a fellow republican who has uh, put in place restrictions to bar local governments from enforcing uh, mask mandates um, so you're are you telling him as mayor i need power over my own city
10: sure yeah i've, I've, I've uh, tried to reach him uh, on multiple occasions to tell him to give us the opportunity, not just here at the city, but in the county, to be able to institute things that we think are common sense, that we think are backed up by science, um, and we can demonstrate are backed up by science. I have a chart that shows demonstrably. That mass in public work. Uh, thankfully, a lot of our residents are doing it regardless. I think they're obviously concerned about their own health, and certainly we've been hammering home the point uh, in PSAs uh, you know throughout uh, you know last few months. and I think that's one of the main reasons why our hospitalizations remain low, so I'm very thankful that our residents are listening despite the fact that it's something that we can't mandate.
2: And the governor has not responded, I assume, to your request.
10: That, that's correct. that's right.
2: I looked at the White House report for your state this week, and it highlights the metro area around Miami uh, as being in the red zone. But your restaurants are allowed to have 100% capacity, um, along with social distancing, of course. But your bars, your nightclubs, your gyms are all open. Should you be rethinking that?
10: Well, like i said you know unfortunately uh, that's not uh, in our purview that's something that the governor has decided and certainly um, we're, we're blessed that our residents i think are also heeding the warnings and are using masks despite the fact that there are a significantly greater concentrations of people at those establishments because of that our hospitalizations have plummeted from the summer and like i said uh, we're in a, in a place where we have significantly less than we had before obviously um, for our aging population, we're focusing on vaccinating that population right now as we speak. Uh, and that's been our priority to make sure that we can protect uh, those that are the most vulnerable, those that are at the most risk mm-hmm. of losing their life if they contract the virus.
2: Do you know if you have any of the cases of P1, the strain out of Brazil, or B1351 out of South Africa?
10: I don't yet i haven't gotten any indication from the the state health department that we have any of those strains it's very possible that we do um, what we do know and what we've been told is that the vaccines that we're administering for both moderna and pfizer are effective against the uk strain which of course we all know is significantly more contagious uh, than than you know the sort of uh previous version of, of covid19 so um, we're continuing to vaccinate uh, both in the city of miami at marlins park at about 7000 a week, Mm -hmm. we'd love to have more vaccine. We think if we get significantly more, we can more quickly vaccinate the vulnerable population as well as the general population.
2: Now, vaccine tourism is also drawing people to Miami. I know you've tried to stop some of this and your governor has said to prioritize uh, residents, but there was a Mexican TV star posting on social media last week that he flew into Miami, got a shot, and then flew back to Mexico. Rules are still being broken here. How are you going to discourage that from happening?
10: Yeah, it's awful. And I think, you know, we don't control all the vaccine that's being administered. We control about 7,000 of the 22,000 that are being administered countywide. A lot of them are being administered by the hospital system and by other organizations that we don't control. Um, We are uh, very faithful about making sure that we're asking for identification, uh, that people have a Florida ID because we think it's disrespectful. I mean, we have uh, people in this community uh, that are living here that are, are, you know, dying, frankly, and, you know, they want and they deserve uh, to have priority. Um, If they're vulnerable, we need to get them uh, vaccinated as quickly as possible to make sure uh, that they can live uh, peaceful and enjoyable lives uh, without worry.
2: Are you investigating some of this rule breaking? You're saying you're confident that people are being asked for ID, but obviously people are exploiting that.
10: Well, like I said, we're only doing about a third of all of, of the vaccinations, So it's very possible that those cases are happening in the other two thirds. But, but definitely mm-hmm. um, our, our fire department, which is the one that administers it, is on heightened alert for it and, and certainly will investigate any cases that we believe arise from any of the vaccinations that we've given.
2: The Miami Herald, uh, as you know, local paper there, says that communities with higher average incomes have been getting more doses than impoverished neighborhoods. Why is that happening?
10: Again, you know, we, we only control the ones that we give. We started doing it about a week ago at Marlins Park, and I can assure you that the ones that we're doing are, are for the general public. They're, uh, it's a state registration system, um, but it's possible that people are getting preferential treatment at hospitals, and, and that's something that frankly needs to stop immediately. We've been focusing on our, our minority communities, our underserved communities um, to make sure that uh, there's an equitable distribution of the vaccine to those that are vulnerable and that need it most.
2: Mr. Mayor, thank you for your time this morning. Thank you. We want to go now to former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb. He sits on the board of Pfizer as well as Illumina. And you all heard Governor Lamont mention him (laughs) and the help he gives in his home state of Connecticut. Uh, Doctor joins us this morning from Westport, Connecticut. Good morning.
11: Good morning.
2: Uh, I thought it was remarkable there to hear a a Republican mayor criticize a Republican governor and saying, "We, we need to actually be able to control what's happening in our own city and that not being allowed to happen our um, cities like Miami places where they are seeing b117 this strain of the UK circulate are they really at risk of being overrun
11: I think Miami is at the highest risk right now Miami and Southern California if you look at where b117 is right now in the country about half the cases that we're turning over in Southern California and in Florida and the cities are the hotspots San Diego Miami so I think that the possibility is that we're not going to see a national epidemic with B117, at least in the spring and the summertime. It's a risk to the fall. But what we're likely to see is regionalized epidemics with this new variant. And the two places in the country right now that are the biggest hotspots are Southern California and Southern Florida, Miami. So those cities need to be very mindful uh, of the spread of these variants. Now, we know what works. Prior immunity and the vaccines do appear to be as effective against this new variant. So as we immunize more of the population, And if people continue to wear masks and be vigilant in these parts of the country, we can keep this at bay. It's not too late. But it's a real risk to those regions of the country right now.
2: Can you clarify? Because Dr. Fauci was on this program last Sunday and said that that U.K. strain does have a certain degree of increase in virulence, meaning it can cause more damage, including death. Is it more deadly?
11: There's some, there's some evidence right now that does suggest that it's more pathogenic, that it does cause more severe illness. And we do know that it's about 50% more transmissible. But what we also know from the data, at least the data we have so far, both experimental evidence as well as the data that's come out of some of these vaccine trials, like the Johnson & Johnson vaccine trial and the one with Novavax, is that uh, immunization and prior infection appears to be protective against the B117 variant, as protective. That's not the case with the Brazilian and South African variant, P1 and B1351, where prior infection, the immunity you get from being infected, as well as the immunity you get from vaccination, does not appear to be as protective against those variants. So, the good news with B117, if there is good news, is that as we vaccinate more of the population, it should be a backstop against the continued spread of that variant.
2: So the Biden administration projected this week that another 90,000 people will die in the US over the next four weeks, but the curve seem to be coming down on hospitalizations and infections. Are we getting ahead of ourselves by saying we're turning a corner here? Are you warning us that these new variants are going to dramatically change this trajectory?
11: I think we have the potential to turn a corner. Things are clearly improving around the country. We can't take our foot off the brake too quickly in terms of the things that people are doing, like wearing masks and being more vigilant. That's really probably what's bringing down infection rates across the country right now. The new variants create a lot of risk. I think that the risk is that what you're going to see over the summertime is, whereas the summer should have been very quiet, coronavirus should have really dissipated, in part because of the seasonal backstop, in part because we've infected a third of the population, and in part because we're immunizing more people. So coronavirus levels should have really come down this summer. You might see higher prevalence than what you would have expected, but what's going to likely happen is that the prevalence is going to be high in certain regional hotspots? So we'll have hotspots of infection and maybe epidemics in parts of Florida, parts of Southern California because of B-117. They'll never really get out of it. But the rest of the country will see prevalence come down. Now the risk is to the fall when you know these new variants are going to want to surge. B117, B1351, P1. Now, with respect to the South African and the Brazilian variants, they don't appear right now to be more fit, meaning that they're more transmissible. So they may not spread as readily and we have time to get control of those variants and develop new boosters that could protect against them, vaccine boosters.
2: That's what I wanted to ask you about uh, because we heard from Johnson & Johnson and Novavax that potentially their vaccines may be less effective against that strain out of South Africa. How long will it take us to get the booster shots that you say may be necessary?
11: Well, I think we could definitely have it in time for the fall. Um, we need to come up with a regulatory framework that allows the boosters to be licensed on the ability to demonstrate that they can produce antibody levels. And FDA is working on that. They've talked about developing guidance that would allow companies to develop boosters to the existing vaccines um, that could be licensed just on the basis of proving that in three or 400 patients they can induce antibody levels at a sufficient level that are protective against these new variants. And so I think that framework's gonna be mapped out and the companies have said they're already working on those new boosters. We could have them in time for the fall across all these vaccines. There's no reason we can't do that. And the platforms that the companies use to develop these vaccines, these synthetic platforms, lend themselves to those quick adaptations.
2: For those of us who aren't doctors, How should we understand the difference between Pfizer, Moderna, and the Johnson & Johnson vaccine that seems to be headed for FDA approval?
11: Yeah, you know, I don't think you can make apples to apples comparisons across these clinical trials. People focused on the fact that the J&J vaccine um, was 72% effective in the United States at protecting against moderate and severe disease, and the uh, mRNA platforms, Moderna and Pfizer, were 95% protective. And so, you know, there was a presumption that, well, maybe the J&J vaccine isn't as protective. I think that we need to look at what the vaccine is doing. It does appear that the J&J vaccine is inducing what we call a T-cell response, meaning that it's protecting against disease. It might not be protecting as well against infection, but it does seem to be protecting very well against moderate to severe COVID. And in fact, in the clinical trial, no patients who received the vaccine were hospitalized, Um, or um, died from from COVID and so that's a really good outcome from the clinical trial. We also need to keep in mind that the the J&J vaccine is a one dose vaccine. They have a study underway looking at two doses. So it may well be the case that if you get two doses of that J&J vaccine, which may eventually be how we end up using it, it'll be just as protective as the other vaccines, but it's a very good development. I think it will get authorized by the FDA after a careful review and it's gonna provide a lot of additional supply on the market and some differentiation as well from the other vaccines.
2: much of a difference will it make that the Biden administration is giving three weeks notice versus one week's notice to states about the doses they're going to receive?
11: Yeah, a lot. And the fact that they're also increasing the amount of supply that they're flowing to the states right now. You know, the states need to set up vaccination sites and have a predictable flow coming through those sites. They need to book appointments two, three weeks out. And so giving the states visibility on what the supply is going to be allows them to set up systems where people go online and book an appointment two or three weeks out. A lot of people Are willing to wait to get vaccinated they just want to know when they're going to get vaccinated so i think giving more certainty to more people about when their time is going to come when they can get an appointment is going to be very important
2: all right dr gottlieb thank you for your analysis chicago public schools are set to open tomorrow for the first time since march but school officials and the teachers union have been at odds over terms of the teachers returning to the classroom chicago public Schools ceo dr janice jackson joins us good morning to you Good morning. The mayor has demanded that elementary and middle schools open tomorrow. Will the teachers union go on strike?
6: Well, right now we're in the middle of um, negotiations that have really heated up over the past couple of weeks. Our goal is to reopen schools as planned um, tomorrow on February 1st for students in our K through 8 grades. It's also important to note we did bring back our early childhood students and some of our students with disability disabilities earlier this month um, and had real good success uh, with reopening. So we are looking forward to restarting again.
2: What happens to teachers if they don't show up tomorrow?
6: Well, the goal right now is to to get a resolution. CTU has made it clear that they want um, a deal. Um, We share those same sentiments, Um, but we're still far apart on a couple of key issues, uh, such as vaccination um, and how we uh, account for accommodations for individuals who maybe are just, you know, petrified to come back into schools because of COVID. We believe that we have to reopen schools. We've been closed for almost a year now. And as a school system, we're starting to see some of the effects of schools being closed. Uh, Many of our students um, aren't logging on. Um, We are seeing uh, African-American and Latinx students in particular being especially hard hit. And our goal is to really give every parent an option. Those families who want to remain remote will have that option through the remainder of the school year. But we have thousands of families who want an in-person option because they're essential workers themselves. Mm -hmm. How many children do you expect to be in the classroom tomorrow? Right now, we're anticipating 77,000 students, um, which is roughly a third of um, the students here in CPS that are eligible for in-person instruction. Um, That's twice the size of the second largest school district here in Illinois. And so reopening Chicago public schools is extremely important. We should also note that private and parochial schools in the city have been open since August. Um, And we learned a lot from their implementation plans and Mm -hmm. looked to guidance from um, public health officials as well as the CDC to make sure we had a solid plan for reopening. So on
2: that CDC plan, I know this uh, report this week got a lot of attention really urging schools to reopen and and saying that transmission can be stopped if masks are worn and there's social distancing. But the same report said there should still be restrictions in the community and it cited indoor dining. Chicago has already opened its bars and restaurants. Um, How do you feel about that?
6: I think we've learned a lot about reopening from the past spring Um, definitely prioritizing the reopening of schools has to be at the top of the list and our mayor has done that we have reopened bars and restaurants at um, limited capacity here in the city but one thing that was really important in that report is that it showed that community spread does not necessarily impact um, spread within a particular school and that implementing mitigation mitigation strategies with fidelity actually um, is more successful will you know lead to more success with reopening and so we're focused on that we have a solid plan in place that goes above and beyond the guidance that we've heard from um, city as well as CDC officials and we believe that we can safely reopen and we've been open for three weeks or we have been open for three weeks with a great degree of success so the time is now for students to return to the classroom.
2: So you mentioned that one of the issues you're still um, in disagreement with Uh, with the union is over vaccination, Chicago is one of the few cities in this country that gets its supply directly from the federal government. The federal guidelines prioritize based on age. That's why I was asking uh, Cedric Richmond, uh, the advisor to the president, about it. I wonder if it would be helpful to you if the Biden administration explicitly said to prioritize teachers in the front of the line as essential workers.
6: Yeah, so in Chicago and in Illinois, we are prioritizing teachers. They are included in 1B, which is currently underway. I think the issue is definitely around vaccine supply. Um, the more uh, vaccines we're able to get, we'll be able to vaccinate people sooner. We have started vaccinating um, individuals in our school system, which is important to note. We started with our healthcare workers and those individuals who work closely with students where uh, they may be at more risk for exposure. Um, but again, in order to accelerate vaccination of our teachers, we quite frankly need more supplies. So why couldn't you move them to the front of 1B ahead
2: of other essential workers with the supply you have now?
6: Well, our city's health department is in charge of that. But what I've heard them say is that, look, the vaccine is a part of a public health uh, toolkit in order to mitigate the spread of COVID. Rule number one is that you have to uh, disseminate those vaccines in places where we're trying to stop the spread of COVID. Schools are not significant sources of spread. And mm-hmm. so this is as much, This is not as much, this is a public health solution. We have to start with that. Some of these other things are incredibly important, but some of them are political decisions. Our health department is trying to combat um, the effects and the spread of COVID. And we are prioritizing places where we see the spread uh, raging on.
2: All right, Dr. Jackson, none of this is easy. Thank you for your time this morning. We'll be back in a moment.
1: repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.
2: A year ago, CBS News foreign correspondent Ramy Innocencio traveled to Wuhan, China at the height of the COVID-19 outbreak. He and his team went back last week to cover the trip of WHO experts who have been trying to get into that country for a year now to investigate the origins of the virus. Today, that team of investigators was allowed into the seafood market in Wuhan, where scientists believe the virus first spread. Here's Ramey's report.
7: Wuhan's winter swimmers have returned to the Yangtze River. Dancers to their parks, friends to their favorite snack shops. Many are celebrating a new lease on life after the loss of nearly 5,000 and a lockdown for 76 days. We were here one year ago, the start of what would be a global tragedy. Now World Health Organization investigators are here too. Scientists believe bats brought COVID to humans. The WHO is looking for the how. This is Wuhan's famous, some would say infamous, Institute of Virology. Some believe COVID leaked from here, but Chinese officials have pushed back hard. The institute says that it's open to any kind of visit. But the international community is skeptical. The investigation has been long delayed. China has been accused of repeatedly blocking access. Beijing has pressed an anywhere but China origin story. The Biden administration says Chinese officials are spreading misinformation. Let history be the judge. Peter Doshak is a U.S.-based investigator and part of the WHO team here. He says the work so far has been productive. Today, the team visited the market where some of the first infections were detected. We are seeing the data and looking at the evidence together with our counterparts in China. We spoke with Wuhan natives who blame the government. HAI lost his father and calls it murder.
1: <laughs>
7: Yangmin's daughter died, she says, because whistleblowers were muzzled. In state propaganda, only the positive is told from a new patriotic documentary for the nation to a massive COVID exhibition in Wuhan that praises China's President Xi Jinping for victory over the virus. And it is a reality one year later. There has been restoration to society after catastrophe, resumption of movements after isolation and recovery from tragedy for the city of 11 million on the banks of the Yangtze, still looking for answers about covid, now living almost as if it never happened. Ramey Innocencio, CBS News, Wuhan.
2: We'll be right back. That's it for us today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you next Sunday morning just before CBS Sports Super Bowl 55 coverage. We'll be previewing the game and the challenges the NFL has faced in our broadcast next week. For Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brandon. Today's guests were Senior Advisor to the President Cedric Richmond, Connecticut Governor Ned Lamont, Miami Mayor Francis Suarez, former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb, and the of Chicago Public Schools, Janice Jackson. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Shelley Schwartz. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com, and you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Face the Nation is also broadcast on our digital network, CBSN.
0: If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com/survey.
9: Look around; you can find cars like these on Auto Trader: new cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. <laughs> Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.
0: Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week.
6: We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner.